Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Mindset. I'm your host, Yolanda Gonzalez, former administrative fellow and current administrative director at Mass General Hospital, located in Boston, Massachusetts. I invite you to join me as I engage with leaders in various roles across the healthcare field to gain real-life insights into their work challenges, the skills that have helped them succeed, and advice on how to get started if this is a path for you. So what are you waiting for? Let's start the journey today. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Amar Kaisi. Dr. Amar Kaisi is an award-winning professor of healthcare administration at Trinity University, a top 15 national program. He is the author of the book, Intangibles, which has won the 2019 Healthcare Book of the Year Award. At Trinity, Dr. Kaisi teaches courses in leadership, professional development, and public speaking, and is the director of the executive program. His research interests include leadership and strategy. Dr. Kaisi is a national speaker with the Stutter Group and a faculty member with the American College of Healthcare Executives. He is also a certified executive and physician coach. In today's episode, we'll be diving into humility and ambition and why they are both important traits for leadership. Dr. Kaisi, I'm honored to have you on today's episode. Thank you for all the amazing work you're doing and for being here today. Thank you, Yolanda, for having me. It's a great honor to be with you today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Great. I am as well. And you have such an impressive background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and take us back to the beginning? What got you drawn into healthcare in the first place? Yeah. You know, I I was born in Beirut, Lebanon, which is a small country in the Middle East. And since my early years, I've always known that I wanted to teach for some reason. I, I knew that teaching was my calling in life, but I didn't know where to start. So I started with an undergraduate degree in public health um, at the American University of Beirut. And in my final semester doing um, that degree, I took a course in healthcare administration, and I really enjoyed it. So I decided to pursue a master's in healthcare administration. And while I was doing that, I did a fellowship at the hospital associated with the American University of Beirut. And I really liked hospital operations, but my love for teaching was always there. So I started thinking of ways where I can combine teaching with healthcare administration. I decided to pursue a PhD in in health service administration. I applied for various programs in the U.S., and I landed in Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota and had a great time there despite the bitter cold weather. And while I was doing my degree, I also worked at um, a large health system up in Minnesota called Alina. Uh, At that time, my work was specifically in the area of quality and patient safety. I actually wrote my doctoral dissertation on medication errors and physician practices. Now, when I finished my degree, I started looking for healthcare administration programs across the country that would be a good fit for my personality and my interests, and decided to come to Trinity University in San Antonio. And, you know, that was 18 years ago, and I've loved every minute of it, and that's why I'm still here at Trinity. It's clear that teaching has always been a clear passion of yours from the very beginning, and right now you play a crucial role in teaching both current and future generation of healthcare leaders, um, specifically on topics about leadership. So when we think about leadership, 
what would you say are expected qualities and traits that a leader possesses? And what would you say are maybe unexpected traits that they possess that we may not normally think about? Yeah, you know, some of the traits that you would expect and that everyone talks about are decisiveness, integrity, um, trustworthiness, communication skills, having a vision and having the ability to execute the vision. So, you know, you open any leadership book and you're going to find these, right? However, when I started doing research for my previous book, Intangibles, the evidence showed that there were some other traits that were more unexpected and less talked about. And these included so-called softer traits, such as compassion, kindness, generosity, humility. But the studies showed that there was nothing soft about the leaders who displayed these traits. In fact, the leaders who are compassionate and kind and generous and humble are those that are able to better engage their employees, reduce turnover rates, they can improve their patient engagement, they increase innovation and productivity across their organization, and they can even improve the financial bottom line of their teams and their organizations. So the unexpected findings were that these traits are not just touchy-feely stuff, but rather crucial for driving high performance for leaders, for their teams, and for their organizations. That's so fascinating. And I am reflecting back on my own educational pathway and how often, or maybe not as often, humility, kindness, compassion was spoken about. And so one of my questions for you is, how do you teach that to students? Is that a trait that we can expect to grow in others? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that, you know, these are not things that you are either born with it or you're not, but rather these are muscles that we can all work on to, to develop. So, you know, in, in my courses, as well as in, in the books that I've written and the articles that I write, I, I focus on the practical take-home behaviors that students and young leaders, but also experienced leaders can start turning their attention to and start applying right away. So yeah, none of this stuff is stuff that we can't learn, stuff that we can't become more comfortable with, but I believe what's required for that is the intentionality, right? Is to be intentional about becoming a more compassionate and more empathetic and more, and more humble leader. You alluded to this earlier, you had written a book in 2019, and um, you do have a book coming out in January 2021 titled Humbitious, The Power of Low Ego, High Drive Leadership. First off, congratulations. I'm really excited to get my hands on this book, but can you give us a little bit uh, more details of what we can expect to learn in Humbitious, and how does this differ from the first book that you released in 2019? Yeah, you know, with with Intangibles, my my when my previous book uh, Intangibles came out, you know, I got invitations from various health systems, organizations, professional associations to talk about the findings, and of those traits that I just mentioned. The one that was the most controversial and the most intriguing for leaders was humility. So I decided to do a deep dive on humility to better understand it as equality for leaders. But I didn't just want to share my opinion or the opinion of others. I really wanted to bring in the evidence and the research. 
And what surprised me was the size of the evidence that is available on humility. I mean, there are hundreds of peer-reviewed studies that have been conducted on humility and leadership and its impact on teams and organizations. But the, the, the sad thing is that most of these academic studies are published in journals that no leader ever reads. I mean, that's, that's how it is. You know, most busy leaders, they want short articles, they want practical articles, and, and they might read a book or, or two, but they don't have time to read the academic journals. So what I decided to do is to curate and synthesize all of that research and bring it in a practical and easy to understand way for, for all the leaders. Now, the main idea in Humbitious is that in leadership, humility is not a weakness. It actually is a strength. However, it needs to be combined with ambition. So, so the promise from the book is that leaders who combine humility with ambition, leaders who have ambitiousness, will achieve high performance, not only for themselves, but also for their teams and for their organizations. That's fascinating. And when you were writing this book, what was the, or I guess I should ask, who was the audience that you were intending this book is for? Yeah, I, I believe that the audience for the book is, is both clinical and administrative leaders. I would even go further and say it's, it's leaders in all different types of organizations, not just healthcare leaders. Because I believe that the basic principles of leadership and, and those traits I'm talking about apply everywhere. Now, while the book itself is evidence-based, as I said, and it is, is um, you know, grounded on research, it is not an academic book per se. It actually is a very practical book with concrete take-home behaviors that leaders can take and can start applying right away. You know, they, they can take one or two things that they can start doing tomorrow morning and that will make a big difference in terms of their leadership effectiveness. But most importantly, there, there are behaviors that leaders can start teaching and coaching to their team members. And hopefully some of these behaviors and practices spread across teams and across organizations. So I know our audience will definitely want to get their hands on your book to learn more about some of more of these tangible action things plans that we can do, but I'm curious to hear from you. Is there one uh, action item that you can share with us of how we can grow our humility? Yeah, there, you know, as, as I said in, in the book, there's a lot of ways that um, I share, but, but, you know, with our audience today, I can, I can share a couple if you'd like, um, you know, about ways we can build those muscles of, of, you know, humility and ambition. My first suggestion would be self-reflection and journaling, but with purpose. Here, here's an example. Let's say that you're a young leader or even an experienced leader and you just had a major success or a major achievement, right? Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you want to give yourself credit for that. You want to celebrate. You want to enjoy it. But I will also suggest that you may want to sit down and reflect and ask yourself some important questions, such as, who trained me and who mentored me, right? Who gave me chances in my career? How many people on my team right now are doing a great job and that contributed to the success that I've had? How did luck contribute to my success? How did market conditions contribute to my success? So these types of questions when used in reflection can help keep you grounded and humble. Now, 
don't understand me wrong. Humility is not about minimizing a success or, or uh, you know, minimizing your strength. It's just about accurately understanding your successes and seeing their strengths for what they are, but also seeing what are your areas for, for improvement. So I, I would say that's one that is more internal in terms of sitting with yourself and asking yourself some hard questions as you're reflecting and introspecting. Another one would be listening to understand. Uh, and I'm sure the, the listeners have, have heard that advice before, but, but what I would add here is, you know, many of us think that we are good listeners, but the reality is that we are average listeners at best because we mostly listen to reply rather than listen to understand. And if you think about it, let's say you and I are having a conversation and I'm listening to you to reply. When I'm doing that, it's all about me. It's all about my ego because I can't wait for you to stop talking and then I want to share everything I know. I want to show you how smart I am. I want to show you how knowledgeable I am, right? So it's all about my big ego. So that's listening to reply. Compare that with listening to understand. If I'm listening to you to understand, that's a humble way of listening because it's all about you. Because I'm going into this conversation with curiosity. I'm going to it, into it with the assumption that I'm going to learn something from you, that you have something to teach me that you have a unique perspective that I'm not familiar with. Now, I don't have to agree with you, right? So listening to understand doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with everything you say, but at least I'm giving you the respect and I'm giving you the, the opportunity to share your perspective. And I am listening to that with that curiosity, not with the intention that I want to reply. Mm-hmm. And those are excellent points. The first point that you said, the self-reflection and journaling is there a, a number of times that you'd recommend that we do that? Like, is that something we do on a daily basis, a weekly, a monthly? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, that's, that's such a great question. And I was actually having a similar conversation with our graduate students at Trinity the other day because they asked that same question when we were discussing journaling. One thing that I like to stay away from is prescriptive solutions and saying this works for everyone in every situation. Do it every morning for 20 minutes and every evening for 20 minutes and never miss a day because that's the way to do it. I don't like, I don't like these approaches. I'd say do it in a way that works for you. Um, I myself have tried journaling over the years and I stopped and I, I started again and I stopped because I found that I was trying to force it on my schedule because someone had told me do it every morning for half an hour. And it got to the point where it was too much to do it every morning. There wasn't enough to reflect on every morning. Now, some other people may have that. So what my suggestion would be do what works for you. What I find now is working for me at this point in time is to do it on a needs basis. And that happens to be two or three times a week. Um, you know, generally in the morning, because that's when, when there is quiet time. But who is to say that doing it in the evening is not better? Who is to say that doing it at, on your lunch break is not better? Or doing it, you know, only on the weekend to reflect on the whole week? So I, I like a more flexible approach to journaling rather than something that is very rigid, which becomes forced and therefore becomes hard to sustain. 
I agree with you. I'm a journaler myself and I have found myself, I, I, you know, I'm nodding as you're saying, sometimes like you're doing really well and you're journaling and then some days you may fall off. And so I like that having that degree of flexibility and what works best for you. And what I'm hearing throughout our conversation is it sounds to me that you have to really have a good understanding, a great understanding of yourself to be able to know what works best and to able to measure some of these skills like humility um, or ambition. I mean, am I, um, does that sound right to you or would you agree or disagree with that? Oh, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head right there, Yolanda. You know, the first building block of humility is self-awareness, is understanding yourself, really knowing yourself. And there's a couple ways to do that, right? To build that self-awareness. The first one is, as we talked about, which is self-reflection, journaling, taking time, you know, what I call heads up time. You know, you have a busy schedule. All of the listeners that are listening to us have busy schedules, but, but finding time in this busyness, in this day that is filled with putting out fires to reflect and think. So, so that's the first aspect of self-awareness. But I don't believe that's enough by itself. I think there is another aspect to it, which is a little bit more external, which is to seek feedback from others. You know, you may know or you may think you know what your strengths and your areas for improvement are, but until you ask others for feedback, you're not really going to find the whole picture. So I, another aspect of, of building self-awareness is the external part of seeking feedback from others and really listening to that feedback and really trying to understand what they're trying to tell you and what are some of the blind spots that they're pointing to you. And when more than two or three people tell you the same thing, you know there is a pattern there and you know that it's definitely an area for improvement for you. So that, that's how I think about a comprehensive self-awareness. If you don't mind me asking, who do you find yourself going to whenever you seek external feedback? You know, I believe each one of us should have a group of people that I call loving critics, all right? And, and loving critics, as the name suggests, are those people who love you, which means they care about you, they care about your best interest, they want what is the best for you, but at the same time are not hesitant to provide you with that constructive criticism to tell you the hard truth when you need to hear it. Now, what are the criteria to choose these people? You can't go to everyone. I think the mistake that sometimes we do is we go to everyone for feedback. No, I, I believe we need to be selective. And you know, the, the, uh, the great organizational psychologist Tasha Yurik talks about that in, in her um, book called Insight. You know, she talks about those choosing those loving critics as people who are familiar with you people who see you in action every day as a leader, but also there are people who understand what success looks like, right? So if they're giving you advice on how to be a better leader, it's coming from their experience because they themselves have been successful leaders, or at least they've, they've you know, spent time with, with successful leaders. And it doesn't have to be a large group of people. Those loving critics can be, you know, Early in your career, maybe one or two people, and then you start growing that that um, you know group into four or five, and you go to them frequently with 
specific questions rather than with general questions. So, so one of the mistakes that we make when we're asking for feedback is to go to someone and say, do you have any feedback for me? Well, that's very hard because it's so general. What do you, what do you mean? What kind of feedback you're looking for? So, so rather than doing that, go to those people and ask for specific feedback. For example, go and ask them. Yesterday in, at the afternoon meeting, was I a good listener? Right? That's a much better question to ask because now they can give you specific feedback. And do that consistently so that they know that you're serious about it. And then perhaps most importantly, when they give you the feedback and say, no, actually, you interrupted our other team member, or you were not a good listener, or you were a little bit um, you know, aggressive in the way you presented this idea. When they give you that constructive criticism, don't become defensive, but rather thank them for the feedback because feedback is always a gift. Say, thank you. You have given me something to think about and move on. Don't become defensive because when we become defensive, when others give us feedback after we've asked them for that feedback, what are they going to do next time? They're not going to give us any feedback because we're getting defensive. We're not accepting their gift. That's so key. You hit on such an important point. And I really like when you said feedback is always a gift. I'm sure that you know so many leaders in the healthcare space, outside of the healthcare space. Are there any people that come to mind when you think of ambitious leaders and who are those individuals? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to share an example from outside of healthcare, but, but then show the applications to, to a healthcare environment. You know, when you think of the word humility first by itself, so that, that's where I started. You know, when I was, I really wanted to understand humility. I went back to the origin of the word humility. And it actually, it comes from a Latin word called humus. H-U-M-U-S, not to be confused with hummus, the Middle Eastern dip, that's, that's different, all right? So humus is a Latin word, and it actually means close to the ground or close to the earth. So that's how the Roman understood humility, as someone who is close to the ground and close to the earth. So the one leader that personifies this quality for me is a leader by the name of Jim Senegal, who was the co-founder and the previous CEO of Costco. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows Costco, right? So Jim was the co-founder and the previous CEO. So naturally, he had an office in the company's headquarters, right? A, a big office, corner office. But he was never there. He was never in his office because every single day, he would take a plane and go to visit a different Costco store. And sometimes he would visit more than one per day. And he would show up in a totally unassuming way, you know, just wearing a regular shirt and khaki pants and a name tag that says Jim. And he would walk into the store with no entourage, you know, no bodyguard. He would just go in and start talking to the employees that work at that specific Costco store. And he would just ask them questions. He wasn't there to catch them doing something wrong. He wasn't there to punish them. He was there to learn from them. So he would ask them questions such as, what do you like about working at Costco? What are some of the things that you need to do your job better? What can we do to make things easier for you? And then he would do the same with the customers at that Costco store. He would walk up to them and say, how come do you shop, you shop here at Costco? What do you like about us? 
How come you don't go down the street and shop at Sam's Club, right? What can we do to improve your experience? So every single week he would do that Monday to Thursday. And then on Friday, he will come back to the company's headquarters and share what he learned with the rest of his executive team. And that's how they made their decisions. So it is no secret that Costco has been a very successful company, very profitable over the years, and very high on employee engagement and customer service. And I believe it was this humble approach of being close to the ground, close to the earth that, that Jim Senegal adopted that allowed them to achieve that success. So while the example comes from outside healthcare, I think the application to healthcare is, is very obvious. I'm sure Yolanda and, and, and you know, yourself and our listeners are very, very familiar with the concept of rounding for outcomes, right? The, a leader that rounds on their team, that rounds on patients. Whether you're a director or you're the CEO or any level of leadership, you take time out of your day to go out there and talk to the employees, talk to the patients, learn from them. Because the mindset is, I don't know everything. Yes, I know a few things. I have the degrees, I have the qualifications, but I don't know everything. And I'm not going to learn unless if I go and ask with curiosity. And again, if I go and I listen to understand when people answer my questions. Mm, that's that's really good. And I there's so many qualities and tangible actions that you just mentioned and, and the story that you shared that we can certainly apply. I'm curious when it, when we're in the setting we are now where a lot of things are happening virtually, uh, you know, I, I think when it comes to hospital operations, you're always going to have an on-site presence, but maybe for other teams within healthcare um, that have gone remote, what are, what's your advice for how you can round or still share some of some of these characteristics or traits in a virtual world? Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It is much harder. Um, there is no replacement for that physical rounding, that, that physical presence, being there, you know, grabbing a stool, sitting next to a nurse, sitting next to a doctor, next to a patient, and really talking with them. So in the absence of that, I would say take every advantage of what technology is allowing us to do. You know, don't just rely on the regular Zoom calls that you have with your team members, but maybe schedule some that are more one-on-one. Um, you know, when you do that, you know, do the basic stuff, turn on your camera, be really present when you're having these conversations. Don't, you know, go through the emotions. Don't, don't you know, just connect for the sake of connecting, but, but really be there, really ask questions and listen and provide support and, and show empathy to what they're going through, you know. Um, when you're going to do these kind of um, connections and conversations, people are going to share how hard things are right now for them, especially our, you know, healthcare professionals and providers and, and everyone working in, in a healthcare organization. They're going to share how tough things are for them, the challenges, they're short-staffed, you know, they have to um, still deal with the global pandemic, they have challenges at home and all of that. So when doing that, make sure, even if you're doing it virtually, make sure that you're asking them not just about how things are going at work, but also how things are going outside of work. Don't just view them as an FTE, but as a full human being with concerns, with elderly parents, with, you know, 
children and challenges and hobbies and 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 all of these things. So I, I'd say make that personal connection, even if it's in a virtual platform. Yeah, and for a place where we spend the majority of our days and the people that we're surrounded by, that's so important to have that personal touch and to really get to understand you know, other things that could be affecting that individual and just getting to know them on a personal basis. I, I think that's one of the things that I love about healthcare is it seems sometimes that people naturally who are drawn into the healthcare field can be pretty open in that regard. But that, you know, I think that's amazing advice to say, this is something that's very important and you as a leader um, should be exemplifying and, and showing those actions to your team and to others. What is your advice to administrative leaders who work closely with clinical leadership that do not have an MPH, an MBA, um, or an MHA training or background, and therefore they may not have a clear understanding of important leadership traits such as humility. Um, I definitely think they have ambition down, but humility may not be a trait that they know the benefits of. How do you suggest that we as administrative leaders either educate that to our clinical leadership or how can clinical leadership uh, understand the importance of those traits as well? Great question. Um, My advice would be before we teach it and before we coach it to the clinical leaders is to model it ourselves first. Mm. So what I would suggest for an administrator, you know, with, with a more traditional administration background like an MHA or an MBA or an MPH is for them to be open-minded, to be curious, and to be teachable. Now, sure, the clinical leaders may not have the business degrees and the credentials, but they understand clinical operations better. They understand patient care better. They understand quality and safety better. So my advice, especially for young administrators that are starting now, is Again, to start every conversation with everyone you encounter, the clinical leaders, but also the clinical staff, the providers, and even other professionals working in healthcare, such as environmental services and the dietary department and the pharmacy and everyone, is to enter these conversations with them with curiosity and with the mindset that I'm going to learn something new from each one of these people and and from each one of these conversations. Yes, you may have the degree, you know, again, an MHA or an MBA or an MPH, but they have the real understanding of how things work. So my advice would be model humility before you teach it. You know, ask questions, listen and learn. And when you model that enough, I believe, the clinical staff and the clinical leaders will learn that on their own and and hopefully they will follow that that example. I always do better when people show me these traits versus telling me how to do something. So I think that that's that's definitely uh, something that we should mirror is great advice. You said this earlier in our conversation, but uh, you spoke a little bit about how um, humility was one of the traits that the individuals were surprised by as being an important trait of leadership. Why do you think, you know, still to this day, that traits such as kindness and humility are perceived as weaker by some individuals? 
You know, I believe that when kindness or humility are present in a leader's style by themselves, they are not enough. Okay. So if a leader is only kind, but is not able to hold other people accountable, then I would say that they have a huge area for improvement. Same as if a leader is too other-centered or maybe too passive or focuses on everyone else, but do not think of themselves, of their own career, of their own development, I would also call that an area for improvement. And that is why I think kindness has to be combined with accountability. Being kind doesn't mean that you'll let your team members do whatever they want or that you ignore their mistakes and their shortcomings and sweep it under the rug. In fact, as Brene Brown famously said, you know, being honest and being direct with your team members is sometimes the kindest thing that you can do for them. That is how you can show kindness and, 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 and empathy and compassion towards them because being clear about their areas for improvement is the only way that they can actually improve. So I am a firm believer that kindness can be complemented with accountability and that humility can be balanced with ambition. You know, another leader that comes to mind that, that has really portrayed how these skills can be combined with each other and can be complementing each other is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. I don't know if you're familiar with her or if the audience is familiar with her, but, but I, I'd like to share a little bit about her story. So, you know, Jacinda Ardern became Prime Minister of New Zealand a few years ago. And when, when she became the Prime Minister, she was the youngest female leader in the world, okay? Now, obviously, when you have a young leader, a female leader, there are a lot of skeptics out there, a lot of cynics there saying, oh, how is she going to do with all the challenges? And she had a lot of challenges. And the first one of them was actually a major challenge. So a, a, a couple years after she became prime minister, um, there was a, a major terrorist attack that took place in the town of Christchurch in, in New Zealand. And it was all over the news and it was, it was um, really significant. Her response to that crisis was, textbook ambitions. So the first thing that she did was to go to the families of the victims and to show empathy towards them, to listen to them, to mourn with them. So that's how she spent the first few days. But then after that, it was coupled with decisiveness and strength. Right away, she called the parliament in her country and she made them pass gun control laws. Now, you may agree or disagree about gun control laws, but what I'm focusing on here is the decisiveness and the action. So she did that, and that was one of the quickest responses to that crisis. After the terrorist attack, she faced another crisis, which most leaders or all leaders in the world face, which is the, the COVID-19 global pandemic. Again, she combined the empathy and the compassion and the kindness with, with decisiveness and, and strength. So she would hold those virtual town hall meetings every single night on LinkedIn. And I watched some of them where she sat there as the prime minister of the country to answer questions from regular citizens, from business owners, and to assure them that the country was, the government was going to support them. But at the same time, they were so decisive. They closed their, their um, borders right away. And, you know, last time I checked, New Zealand had zero active cases of COVID-19. Now think about that, zero active cases. 
Sure, it's a smaller country, it's an island, it's much easier to do that. But the outcomes that they've had with dealing with the global pandemic have been very impressive. She actually talks about her own leadership style. And she says, you know, when, when people see her as a compassionate and empathetic leader, they, they assume that it's a weakness. But she says there's no reason why you can't be both empathetic and strong, why you can't be compassionate and decisive, you know, why you can't, as I'm saying, why you can't be humble and ambitious. These traits can be together, and only when they're, they're combined with each other, then we won't see kindness and humility as being weaker traits. Well, I know that our audience is going to be so excited to get their hands on your book that is coming out. And I know I am, you know, just with you sharing that, it's so true. Sometimes we're so quick to just categorize individuals in certain categories of traits that they exhibit when really we can have um, shared qualities and traits, kind of like you mentioned, we can be empathetic and we can be strong and we can, um, you know, make those decisions and have that decisiveness, but still show empathy towards others. And so how can our audience find more about your book and connect to learn more about you? Yeah, um, you know, the book itself is, is currently available on Amazon, you know, in hard copy and e-copy as well as audiobook. Um, to learn more about it, um, they can go to ambitiousbook.com. That's one word, ambitiousbook.com. And, and find a lot of information about the book. There's also a, um, a little scale that you can, a little, a little tool that you can do to, to measure your own humility. Although I would say that measuring your own humility is probably not gonna work that well because um, as, as you might think, you know, those who are really humble are gonna rate themselves low, whereas those who are not humble are gonna give themselves high marks. So what I would say there is, Use that tool to have others rate your humility. So recruit five people who know you well and have them rate your humility. That probably will be much more accurate. Um, but but back up to, to how um, you know the listeners can connect with me. So other than, than going to the books website, I, I have my own website, amirkaisi.com, um, where, where they can um, find more information as well as on LinkedIn under Amir Kaisi. Um, I, I believe I'm the only one with that name on LinkedIn last time I checked, so I'm very easy to find. Great, and we'll include all those links so folks can definitely go and find more about you and your book, and I'd highly, highly recommend that they get their hands on this. And so I know our time is coming to a close, and I do have some rapid-fire closing questions. So these questions oh, are, are meant for our audience to get to know you a little bit more personally. And I thought I'd start by asking what your Myers-Briggs personality type is. Oh, Myers-Briggs, I am an ISFJ. I am. So introvert, but I'm what you would call an outgoing introvert. So, so I'm, I'm not shy. I can turn it on and off depending on the situation. The best way I describe it is, is I can go and live and, and, and give a speech to a large audience and really enjoy it. But then after the speech is over, I have to go and be by myself to recharge. That's, I was like, I've seen several of your talks. And so I'm, I'm a little surprised that uh, you're I, but that does make sense. You can be, like you said, an extroverted introvert. There's that balance there. My next question is, what can we find you doing on most days outside of work? 
outside of work, um, you can find me hiking with my wife or enjoying a good cup of coffee with her at a local coffee shop. Um, you may also find me having a good conversation with my 16-year-old daughter over lunch, um, watching my 14-year-old son playing soccer for his club or for his high school team, or maybe watching a European soccer game with him at home. So I'm, I'm a big soccer fan. Um, when I'm by myself, you probably will find me running or reading a book or cooking. Wow. So very family oriented. Sounds like you like sports and then also likes to kind of be outside in nature cooking. Great. Yes, that pretty much summarizes it. <laughs> what is your favorite place in your current city that you'd recommend to someone visiting? So it sounds just as listeners know, you're currently in San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. So in, in San Antonio, there is a nice little coffee shop called Commonwealth Bakery. We're going we're gonna to give them some attention now. And it's a nice little place that looks like a house that I love to hang out at. And what I like about the place is you can find really good coffee, the best French pastries, and just a nice place to go if you want to get a couple hours of uninterrupted work done. You know, you take your laptop with you, or if you want to meet with others for some good conversation. So, so I'd say Commonwealth Bakery is, is my place. I have been to San Antonio many times and I've never been to Commonwealth Bakery. So I, you have to check it out. You have to I check definitely it out. will be adding that to my list before I leave to go back to Boston. Uh, what do you wish you had known before starting your career? You know, I kind of knew this, but I wish someone continued to remind me of it. Healthcare is first and foremost about serving the patients in a compassionate way. And when I think of my work in leadership as, you know, a speaker or as a coach or as an author, you know, I think about it as a way to do that indirectly, to serve the patient in a compassionate way indirectly. Because what I aim to do is to share my knowledge about leadership so that leaders can show up more as a humble, compassionate, and empathetic leaders towards their staff members, who in turn can show that same humility and compassion and empathy towards the patients and towards the community. So, you know, the the, the reminder that I like to have for myself, and I wish someone reminded it, reminded me of it early on in my career, was that all the work that we do relates back to patients. That's, that's the ultimate goal, is, is to make people's life better and to improve the health of, of the community. So my hope is that the work that I do in a small way indirectly goes back and, and impacts patients in a positive way. I can almost guarantee that it is, but yes. No, thank, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. What is a book or podcast recommendation you can share with our audience today? Oh, I have a lot of books to recommend, way more than we have time for. But what I would say is um, listeners can go to my website, amarkaisi.com, to subscribe to my monthly newsletter, because I have a monthly newsletter called Leaders Are Readers. And when they do that, they can find out which book I'm reading every month. So every month I read a leadership book, and then I give my um, reaction to it. So, so they could learn more about um, the books that, that I like. But for podcasts, I would 
make one recommendation other than this current podcast, obviously, I would recommend um, a podcast called The Look and Sound of Leadership. And The Look and Sound of Leadership is a podcast by Tom Henschel. And Tom is amazing. He's an executive coach. And he's been doing the podcast for more than 10 years now. And there, it, it's just a goldmine of leadership advice and leadership coaching. And I, I highly recommend it. All right. Now you got me hooked on both of those now. I'll be, I'll be subscribing to your list. And my very last question is, what is the best advice that you've received that you can share with our audience? Best advice? Um, be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. And with that, I don't think that there's a better way to end than with that note, Dr. Kaisi, thank you so much for being on today's episode and for sharing your thoughts on humility, ambition, why it's important in leadership. It certainly is a topic that I think we need to be discussing more and more. And I'm just so glad that I was able to have you on today's episode to share your insights with our audience. Oh, it, it was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Your, your questions were great. Um, I enjoyed it. And I want to thank you for this great podcast and, and for, for you as, as a young leader to be doing this and to be, you know, working on improving yourself as a leader and trying to learn from, from different people and then sharing that with a wider audience. I think it's a great thing that, that you're doing. So, so keep up the great work. Thank you. Now, everybody go and pick up Ambitious, which is out uh, this month. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to this episode. If this is your first time here, welcome. Please click on the subscribe button wherever you're listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review of the part you enjoyed the most. I look forward to meeting you all back here soon.